This is from Dad, and I'm Ryan Daniel Culp. Just a quick warning about this week's episode, there are a couple F-bombs. So if you're with some kids, you may want to listen to it later. From Dad is a podcast featuring true tales of modern fatherhood. I'll be sharing stories about parenting that you wouldn't hear otherwise, but you'll be glad you did. Recently, I spoke with Daniel Landis, the owner of Sitio City, a vegetarian restaurant and bar in Denver, and Osa Mariposa, a travel hostel in Oaxaca. In addition to a bunch of other stuff, he's a dad. Here, Daniel tells the story of his son, Charlie. I opened Watercourse in January 12th of 1998, and Charlie was born February 19th, 1998. So I had a brand new business. We were completely underfunded. Everything depended on me. I was the chef and manager, and you know it was a very small place back then. But you know Charlie was born a month afterwards, so I had a brand new business and a brand new baby all at the same time. He had overcome a lot of severe illnesses as a child, and uh, from a young age had severe asthma, and basically was knocking on death's door. Um, three times, but then hospitalized every season. Basically, when the seasons changed, he would end up in the hospital. And while he was in the hospital, he was laid out and um, struggling. And that really kept him from um, finding a rhythm of childhood. There was a night um, when Charlie was three and he was intubated. So intubation is basically when they put you in a drug-induced coma and put pipes down your throat so that you breathe and we were in this is the first time he was near death at children's hospital which is an amazing place we were in the uh, uh, pediatric intensive care unit not a place that anybody wants to be because you don't there's no place to go from there once you're there if you don't it's it's the end of the road and you either get better or you don't so three kids had died of the same thing that he had because he had RSV and an asthma related um, illness, so his lungs were shutting down and his throat was clothing, closing. So they recommended that he um, be intubated, and the word didn't make any sense to me. I didn't know what it was until they did it, and then my kid's in a coma, and I was like, holy shit. He's intubated, and he had been really working on you know, going potty, and so he didn't want to pee in his uh, diaper so even though he was intubated he wouldn't pee so his bladder got very full and he and I could just imagine this you know whatever part of his psyche was like no I'm gonna you know like what where did he go I think so much so I write a lot and write a lot of short stories and so many of my stories relate to where he went so I write a lot of metaphysical kind of stories about um about where you go when you're not in your body, you know, just these spacey kinds of stories. Cause I'm very curious what happened to him, you know, when he was, where was he that whole time? Charlie's first experience in the hospital was at age three. So I had three years of building community around me and establishing some systems, but, but as, um, as a, uh, self-employed person, I was able to make those, I was able to do exactly what I needed to do. And I had amazing people in my community that would, you know, 
make sure everything was going well. So I was able to take that whatever time I needed and I didn't have to show up to work. But, you know, I would always call and, you know, there was times that I would have to go do interviews or something and I'd, I'd shower at the hospital, get dressed, come back and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe can't believe these two worlds that are, are in existence right now. I don't know. I feel like if I was in that situation, I'd break. Were there moments when you did, I guess? Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, you're, you're, you're completely broken. You know, you're completely broken. There's no part of you that isn't um, broken at that point. But like any grief, anything, it's, a, it's such a strange process as, you know, sometimes you're in it and you're completely grieving and then sometimes it's not even close and you're like, wow, I should be feeling something, but I don't feel it. Somehow, um, you know, you just sort of gear up and you realize that I still have a restaurant to run. I still have to provide for my family. And, you know, even with insurance, these kinds of things aren't cheap. So, you know, I had I, as a father, I had a lot of responsibilities. What a father is, is, you know, being able to take care of all of these things on all fronts because you can't let one, you can't put all of your, it as emotionally crushing as having a child in the hospital is, you can't, you, you have to see the other things that you're responsible for. So he was in a coma for about four or five days and his mom and I didn't leave his side and uh, we were sleeping in chairs and then one night, when things were getting really bad and the doctor basically braced us for him not to make it through the night, they said, um, well, you can have, um, we have a, a room for you guys to sleep in finally because the rooms had been full. And so we got a room that night and that was the night that our second son was conceived. And which is really interesting because we had a lot of conversations that were, uh, Michelle and I had conversations that were like, well, what do we do if he doesn't make it? And I just said, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm going to go. Like, there's nothing left for me here. And sorry, but we gave it a shot. And I don't know. I don't know where I would have gone, but I would have gone somewhere and just probably been homeless. You know, I think it would have wrecked me. I think it would have destroyed me. Um, and I knew that. And so that night when we didn't know what was going to happen, um, our son Henry was conceived and it's one of the most beautiful conception stories I've ever, you know, heard because it was like he was, he came into this world to be with his brother and he came into this world to be with us. And it, if, you know, God forbid Charlie hadn't have made it, it would have kept our family together and we would have stayed together. So it's really pretty powerful. What? So when you say conceived, like you've, <laughs> how did you, track that back in your like just it was like that you yeah there was one moment during that time that where you had enough time to yeah yeah and it was like you know i don't know if everybody has that memory of you know like there's there's fucking and then there's baby making sex you know and like that was baby making sex that was like where you know everything disappears and you're just like completely connected and you're like oh god you're gonna get pregnant <laughs> that's gonna happen that just happened and um was so so at that point like how long was he intubated for he had been intubated for four or five days and then he had been he was in total intubation for around eight days and then the thing is is that once you know they the doctors were like okay i think we can take him out of intubation then it takes another four or five days for him to even come back 
to a point where, and he's three. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a long time. And then you don't know, you know, because basically you're putting a three-year-old human being into a suspended state. And, you know, we're pretty good with science. We're pretty good with medicine, but fuck, who knows what could happen? So he came out of it and, you know, I thought, oh, they'd say, okay, you're out of intubation. And then I get Charlie back. But, um, it took a week before he could even really recognize what was going on and he would get really scared and he was coming out of like this. He, he said, I just, all I see is spider webs and there's spiders crawling on the ceiling and he was in a bad, he was in a bad way. And so we just, it's quite a process, quite a process. So we lived right outside of this summer camp and um, he was going there and we would, I would take my youngest son when he was like three or four to go to swim lessons. And so we would drive through the summer camp and we'd always look for Charlie because, you know, that's sort of a fun thing to do. And we'd never see him because it was two week overnight camp, but we would have to drive through the camp to get out to the road. One day we're driving through and um, I actually had to get him to swim lessons and Henry was not being cooperative and he couldn't find his swimsuit and I couldn't find his swimsuit and we'd get out to the car and then I realized I left the sunscreen and then I'd have to go back in and then I'd get the towel and then I'd get the snacks and basically like we were running 15 minutes late to get to swim lessons and so we go we're driving through the summer camp all of a sudden I said okay let's look for Charlie and then he's standing right on the road and I said Charlie how are you he said not good dad not good I was like, holy shit, what's going on? And uh, he was very, 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 very sick, very sick, near death. His pulse ox was 70, which means he was asphyxiating. Um, so I talked to the directors and scooped him up and got him into the bath and put him on, on, a, on a nebulizer, took him to the hospital, and he had, he had double pneumonia. This was one of the three near-death times that he was in the hospital where we were really on pins and needles watching his his vital signs to see if he was going to make it but I just can't believe of all the timing and you know like if I hadn't have gone back to get the towel that I had forgotten for the third time I wouldn't have been at the road at the moment that he's crossing it and seeing him and who knows what would have happened his class went to Wyoming to work on a farm where he was exposed to a lot of things that agitated his asthma. So he came back and he had, he had double pneumonia. That one was touch and go too. He missed about of the first month of school. And that's a tough month to miss, especially transitioning into the seventh grade. So he goes back to school and this is just such a kind of funny story, but it's kind of brutal too, is that he goes and he had a new jacket because it was, you know, early October that he finally gets back. And so it's cold. So he has this jacket, zips it up, goes to school and the zipper breaks. So he's sitting there with this jacket on 
feeling like an alien because everybody else is totally in the groove and he's not in the groove and he's trying, you know, he, f he feels just completely out of place and he's got this jacket on that he can't take off and he's wearing it all day long. And so he comes back from school and he's just like, oh my God, I couldn't get my jacket off and I just wasn't a part of anything going on and I just felt like a lurker just lurking around. I was like, oh, Charlie, you poor kid. Yeah, he hasn't been in the hospital for a number of years, probably five or six years. But every time he coughs, I, I have a visceral response that's panicky. You know, I'm just like so scared. And so is, so is my ex-wife, Michelle. She you know, we both have this, we're just so in tune. We can hear it from a mile away. Like, Oh, that sounds a little wheezy. And then he said, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And we said, we really need to be aware of your lungs. You need to be aware of your health so that you are, um, prepared to be proactive about getting on top of something instead of reactive when you're already in crisis. So he's been aware of it and I think he's growing out of it for sure. But yeah, we're, we're very, Still, just like he, just like he's five, you know, like <gasps> it, it's changed everything in terms of just even my stress levels. And I think it's changed my parenting. It's, you know, it, it changes you. You tell, you don't take anything for granted. You, everything is, everything is valuable. You know, every moment is valuable and you really are more present with your, both of my kids got the best of Michelle and I, because I think we knew that potentially that could go away. And, you know, I don't think every parent should experience that. I hope very few parents do experience that, but um, it might not be a bad perspective just to sort of carry around even without having to go through it. Charlie graduated last year at 17. Um, so he decided to take a year off. And in that year, he was going to go down and work at Osa Mariposa in Puerto Escondido, Oaxaca, uh, where we have our small travel hostel and he was going to work and learn this well learn to surf and learn Spanish and um, I went down and visited him a couple of weeks ago and I've never seen him so happy and to see him glowing and to see his his physique uh, changing as he's been you know in the water and and in this environment and to see the happiness on his face I mean those were the dreams that I would have and the prayers that I would say when I was in the hospital, which was someday I hope he's someday. I hope he can just be happy. He literally dances all the time. Like he is just moving his feet and he's shaking and he's like the women that he works with are all amazing and they hug him all the time and they dance together and he's just floating. He's just like really so in his own element. And he, uh, the last night at Osa that I was there, it was for Valentine's Day, and he gave, he got up and gave the speech that said, you know, how grateful he is for everybody that's working there. He like is assuming, assuming the the throne in a sense, and I was like so grateful. I was like, I don't want to do this. Like you, you're working here. This is your community. This is your thing. And he didn't even. He just stood up and and gave the speech, which is you know the role that I generally take. So yeah, he's finding his own manhood and he's dancing his way through it. It's wild to be at that level on with your kids, you know, where they're adults and you see them thriving. Daniel Landis is a writer out of Denver, Colorado. 
You can find his work at local spots including Mutiny Information Cafe, Kilgore Books, Lowbrow, and Sidio City. Thanks to Josiah Hesse for setting up the interview and letting us use your office. You can find out more about Josiah and Dan's literary journal Suspect Press at suspectpress.com. Until next time, you can find me on Twitter at RDKulp or find From Dad on Facebook.